All right, we're going to spend some time now studying the Bible together. This is a central, regular thing that we do as a church. We study the Bible each week. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up. If you don't have a Bible, we've got them under the chairs, and, and we'd love for you to have your own paper copy. We are so old-fashioned, we'd love for you to have a paper Bible to take home. So you can grab that and take it home with you. Um, but if you have a device as well, you can open that up. We're in the book of Philippians. So we're studying through Philippians, and we've called this series Risk Everything. And the idea here is to not be stupid and kind of throw everything of value away. The idea really is to value Jesus more than everything else. And so what it is, is it's this picture that we see that Jesus is worth more than anything else in our life, and we're willing to let go of our death grip on the things that we've seen as what will provide us security in life, right? And so as we loosen our grip on those things and pursue Jesus in faith, that actually frees us up to be a people who serve others and, and love others and begin to look like Jesus ourselves. We don't you know, magically flip a switch and all of a sudden we're perfect like Jesus, but we begin to be generous. We begin to serve others in new ways as we follow and trust in Jesus. So the series is Risk Everything. This week, we're going to be in Philippians 2, verses 19 through 30. Verses 19 through 30, and we're calling the sermon this week, Models of Grace. Models of Grace. And so last week, we saw that Paul was reminding us that God delights in us, and because God delights in us, we will obey. We'll follow him. We'll serve him. This week, we're seeing these models of grace, these two guys that have become very dear to Paul. And he says, these are models. Honor these people. Follow their model. They're going to show you what it looks like to trust Jesus and and follow Jesus. Um, So I want to give you an illustration of how this can go wrong. Sometimes we can model our lives um, in an awkward, improper way after people. So I read this story years ago. Calvin Coolidge was one of our president's. And he had some folks from his hometown coming to visit him in the White House when he was president. So these were folks that knew him when he was a regular guy, but now he was president. So they were nervous about going to see him in the White House. And what they decided as a group is we'll just imitate his model, right? Whatever he does, we'll do that. And that way they would feel like they were doing the right thing. If you've ever been to a formal meal, it's a, it's a great strategy, right? You're going to some fancy dinner. It's a great strategy to just kind of to look at the person that invited you and said, I'm just going to do what they do, right? And so that was their strategy, and that's what they were doing. And there came a point when they were at the White House, and they were being served coffee. And they were being served coffee, and Calvin Coolidge, the president, took some of the coffee and poured it in a a big saucer that he had with his cup. So he took it out of the cup, put it in the saucer. And so they all did that too. They're like, okay, this is what we do here. They put the coffee out of the cup into the saucer, and then he put some sugar in it, and then he put some milk in it. They're like, okay, and they put sugar and they put milk in their saucer as well. They're just imitating his model. And then he takes the saucer and he sets it on the ground for the White House cat. And the cat comes and (laughs) drinks the milk and coffee out of the saucer. And they're like, okay, we feel stupid now, right? Like we've taken this too far. This is actually a good illustration of a classic problem that Christians have had for 2,000 years. For 2,000 years, we've built whole denominations on doing things a certain way on saying, it's not enough to just model after faith and grace. We have to model exact procedures, and we have to like hold our services at this time, and we have to have carpet that's this color, and our seats need to be in, in this arrangement, right? And Christians go way off the deep end sometimes, forgetting what is essential. An example that's helpful, I think, before we look at our text, is Father Abraham. He's considered the father of the faith, 
and Abraham is kind of where Israel starts way back in the Old Testament. And Abraham is pointed to as a model again and again. In the New Testament, the New Testament writers hold up Abraham and say that we should model our lives after Abraham. But here's the thing. When you read those texts, when you read those places where we're pointed to Abraham, we're told to model our lives after his faith, after his trust in the grace of God. We, we are not told to like revert to Bronze Age living, right? We're not told to model our lives after the ways that Abraham sold out his wife and you know, did stupid things and didn't trust God. We're, we're told to model our lives after the faith of Abraham. And so that's the kind of thing we see in this text as well. We just want to always be separating those things in our life. There are models that we should follow, but we're following the models of grace, of trusting in God's grace by faith. So the text is verses 19 through 30 of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, 19 through 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. This is the model verse right here, right? Honor such men. Honor people like this. Verse 30, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So we've got these two models. One, Timothy, a dear partner in ministry of Paul, considered like a son in the faith. And then Epaphroditus, who Paul refers to as like a fellow soldier, as a, as a brother in the faith. So these guys have become like family to Paul. He says, these are models. Honor such men. Be like them, right? And there's language here that picks up all of the things that Paul has already said in the letter, right? He said to the Philippians, and he said to us, that we should be like-minded with Jesus, and we should follow Jesus, and we should trust Jesus, and we should risk our lives like Jesus did. And he's like, hey, these guys have done that. Look, look to them. They're a good example of this kind of faith. They're, they're good models of grace. So let me pray for us, and we'll look at this text in more detail. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you, you teach us, that you instruct us, uh, but we recognize here that we need your spirit. For those of us that are skeptics, we need your spirit to make us open-minded, that we would even consider your words, that we would give ear to you, we'd listen to you. God, for those that, that, that love you, that know you, we need your help to, to absorb what you say. We need your help to, to be transformed by your word. God, for all of us, I pray that your spirit would join us here, that you'd help us to pay attention to you, 
and that you would make us more like your son, Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we have a simple outline today, a two-part outline. Isn't that exciting? Um, Probably won't be any shorter, though. Uh, We have a two-part outline, and it's basically the two models. We have the model of Timothy, a son by grace. We have the model of Epaphroditus, a brother by grace. So two models that we are to follow, but as I said, we're not supposed to dress like them. Uh, We're not supposed to listen to their favorite music. We're not supposed to uh, eat the foods that they ate in first century Mediterranean world, right? We're to model our lives after their faith in Jesus, after the grace that's working in their lives. That's, That's the model that we're supposed to follow. So the first one is Timothy, a son by grace. In verse 19, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. So It's communication back and forth. They send people to each other. They didn't have telephones at this time. You know, they would often send messages with friends and with people. Verse 20 says, For I have no one like him who who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So here he's picking up the model of what he had said earlier in chapter 2. He said, We should be like-minded like Christ. And here he's saying, That's what Timothy is. Timothy is like-minded. It's an exact repeat of some of the Greek phrases used before in chapter 2, where he commanded the Philippians and commanded us, we should be like-minded. Together with each other, we should be like-minded like Christ. Here he's holding up the model of Timothy and saying, Timothy is like that. And what's the specific way that Timothy is like-minded like Christ? He has a genuine concern. So Paul is saying here, a mark of God's grace in our life is to have a genuine concern for other people. And I want to praise those of you that I know. Some of you I don't know that well. A lot of you here in the church I know, and you've been here for years, and I see that in your life. I see this genuine concern for other people. That's a mark of God's grace working in you, that you're like-minded like Christ. Paul says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Now, I just want to clarify, he's not saying that no one gives a rip at all, right? He's saying Timothy's like the best model he's got, right? That's really what he's saying here. I have no one that is this like-minded as Timothy is. He has a genuine concern for your welfare. Then he says, verse 21, this is in contrast to many, they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And so again, he's speaking in kind of total all language here, but this is hyperbole, this is extreme language, because we know there were others that helped Paul that he talks about throughout his letters. He's saying there's a lot of people out there, though, that are selfish, Selfish ambition, they're looking after their own interests. Again, he's, he's sharing kind of this language that we saw before in chapter 2. He was exhorting us and exhorting the Philippians like, we shouldn't be selfish, but we should be like Jesus and care about each other. Man, Timothy is this shining model of that. He stands out. Look, look at Timothy. Look at his life. See how he lives out this Jesus-y sort of life and imitate him. He's a good model for you to see what it looks like to trust Jesus and to be genuinely concerned for other people. He's also then kind of picking up some of the language we saw way back in chapter 1. Remember in chapter 1, he said, there were these other people that were competing with him in ministry and that preached Christ for the wrong motives because selfishly they wanted to compete with Paul, right? Kind of the beginning of denominationalism, people splitting up and saying, well, you're stupid, we're going to do it our way and we're going to build a bigger church and your church is dumb and we don't want you to go to Paul's church, we want you to go to our church, right? And Paul kind of talked about some of that in chapter 1 of Philippians. And Paul has this beautiful, gracious attitude of like, you know what though? Even though they may have these selfish attitudes, at least Christ is being preached. 
And we see even, even when Paul is being hurt by people, that he still says, but you know, the point is Jesus. That, that's really the point. And I'm glad that Jesus is being preached. So here he kind of comes back to that. He's like, yeah, these other guys are not a good example for you to follow, but, but Timothy is. Timothy's the example. He's the model I want you to look to. He has a genuine concern for your welfare. I want you to see another thing in verse 21 here. We see the negative of, they seek their own interests, right? That's the negative. Don't be like that. But then he says, not those of Jesus Christ. So uh, many of the Greek scholars and commentators, as I was studying this and seeing what other people have to say about the passage, they note that having a genuine interest, Timothy, he has a genuine concern for you, is the same as the interest of Christ. So the Greek scholars say when you put together verse 20, the description of Timothy, and you put that with verse 21, this is what it means. If you have an interest in other people, you also have the same interest as Christ, right? Another way of saying it is this. Jesus has a genuine concern for you. Jesus cares for us. This is a summary of the gospel. The God of the universe is absolutely holy, and he asks us to obey him, to honor him with our lives. And, and the big story is none of us have done that. None of us have loved the way we should love. None of us have, have lived out the example of holiness and righteousness that God calls us to, except for Jesus. And Jesus is the one who took a genuine concern, a genuine interest in our lives. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In Philippians 2, Paul says he left the comforts of heaven and he came and he obeyed, and he died for us. He took our sins upon himself on the cross. He gives us his resurrection life. And so that is genuine concern at the deepest level. And so Paul's backing that up and saying, yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't save you, right? Like, I, I can't die on the cross for your sins. You can't die on the cross for my sins. Jesus did that. But every time we actually care about people, we're reflecting that kind of movement. We're reflecting the attitude of Christ who moved towards us in our pain, in our sin, in our brokenness. He says, Timothy looks like that, and that's what you should look like. That's what I should look like. We should have a genuine concern for each other. The question is, how are we, how are we living that out? Um, I think one of the most important ways to do this is just listening, right? That's a fundamental skill. Um, I, I see a lot of you doing this well, asking good questions. Have you ever been with someone who asks such great questions that then you leave the conversation and you're embarrassed because you just talked about yourself, right? Some of you guys are really good. You, you know the art of this. And I want to say, continue to do that, right? Ask good questions. Care. Be genuinely concerned for others. Francis Schaeffer is one of my kind of favorite mentors of the faith that died back in the 80s. And Schaeffer used to say, if I only have an hour to share the good news of Jesus with someone, I would spend 55 minutes asking questions. Because the gospel is very simple. Who God is and what Jesus has done for us is very simple. But I, I want to get to know people and I want to understand who they are. And that's a way that we can reflect a genuine concern, a genuine interest in other people. So we listen. We ask good questions. Um, Young Life was a ministry I was trained in years ago. And Young Life says, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Have you all ever heard that before? I'm sure other people use that phrase as well. People don't know how much you care until they... Wait, I said it backwards then. Oh! People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Do you show a genuine concern for people? Uh, when I was a youth pastor years ago, I was kind of like the sidekick assistant youth pastor. So I worked with this older guy. He was about 10 years older than me. He was the high school pastor. I was the junior high pastor slash janitor at the church. 
Um, and we would go and we'd visit other youth ministries just to learn from them, right? We just wanted to be lifelong learners and learn from other guys that were making disciples and sharing Jesus in other places. We went to this one big church uh, up in the DFW Metroplex, interviewed these guys, uh, learned some things about how they did ministry. And after we left, my mentor was kind of talking to me. He's like kind of annoyed by the way the whole thing went down. I was like, what's wrong, man? Like, what's the deal? He's like, didn't you notice like they didn't ask us anything about ourselves? And I was like, no, I didn't notice at all. <laughs> like, I don't know. And I, I kind of teased him. I pushed back on him a little bit. Like, dude, you're just being oversensitive. Like, get over yourself. We went there to learn from them, right? Um, but over the years, I started to see that he had a good point. Um, because those that, that really are going to help us to see Jesus more are going to care about us, right? That's, that's kind of how it works. I'm, I met with consultants years later, right when we were planting this church. And I was struck by how it was completely opposite. They didn't just sit down and say, this is how you plant a church, bang, 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 right? They spent a lot of time asking me and my wife about our life and the context and where we were planting and what the church was going to be like and who we were and what we had learned. And as they showed a genuine concern for us, that actually helped us to see Jesus and to see Jesus' concern for us as well. Um, That's what we should be like. That's who the people of God should be. We should be the kinds of people that, like Timothy, have a genuine concern. And when we have that concern, we're showing them the interests of Jesus. When we're selfish, it's the opposite, right? We're showing them what Jesus is not like. Jesus gave everything up for us. Jesus died for us. Jesus loved us. Jesus pursued us. And we can demonstrate that in our behavior. We can then be like-minded. Timothy is the one that's like-minded. And Paul commanded this at the beginning of chapter 2. Another thing that I want to press us on as we apply this, as we try to live this out, is the idea of being proven. You see that where Paul said that Timothy has proven himself? Um, Look at verse 22. You know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he served with me in the gospel and, and sharing the good news. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go well with me or how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So there's some tentativeness. Paul doesn't know how it's going to go, but he says, you know what? Timothy has proven himself, and so I hope to send him because he's proven himself. So this is another model of grace. Are you proven? I think one of the best ways to define this is just showing up, right? How do we prove ourselves? Like, we're just there. We show up. Do you show up for people? Are you there when you're needed? That's who Timothy has been. So often in the New Testament letters, you see Paul saying stuff like, man, nobody's here, everybody's gone, you know? Timothy was the one that that would show up. He would prove himself. Again, that's a model for us, just just showing up, just being faithful. This is a little bit of a stretch, but I I think this will be helpful to you. As I study demographics and and read articles on kind of trends in American society and and where things are going in church life, one thing that we've discovered is um, regular church attendance now does not look like regular church attendance 30 years ago. I don't know if you knew this. But like 30 years ago, people that were regular church attenders, they went to church every week. Did you know that? Isn't that crazy? You probably can't even imagine it, right? Now, regular, again, this is demographics. I'm sure you don't fit this picture. But now, regular church attendance means like going twice a month. Isn't that weird? It's just kind of good to know where we stand in history, you know, we live in the future. We live in this future world where 
to show up and be regular means not being regular anymore. You know, like it's not, it's just not the same. And so I would press you there. We're not going to like make it a requirement. You know, we're not going to start debiting your account and making you show up every week and stuff like that. We, we want the gospel of grace to be what motivates you to be involved and to show up and, and all those kind of things. But I do want to say, man, this is a place where we believe as we talk about Jesus together and worship him, that's going to help you. It helps me. It's going to help all of us to shape our lives around Jesus and grow in understanding his, his grace for us. And so just, just showing up helps. Just showing up and, and being involved makes a difference. And I just want to encourage you that a lot of us, man, I, I grew up in a chaotic home, broken home. A lot of us didn't see that as an example. And more and more, you know, that's normal to not see that example of just proving yourself, showing up, being regular. And, and that could be so good for you. This also translates into service. We're always talking about ways that we need folks to serve. We're kind of replanting Grace Bible Church now after the pandemic. We're a 15-year-old church, but with the pandemic, you know, we kind of scattered and lost a lot of folks. And we always have people moving in and out and clean anyway. And so we're really starting over in a lot of ways. Uh, so each week we say, man, we want you to gather and worship, be regular, show up. We want you to serve on a team. We want you to join a group with other human beings, get involved in other people's lives. We really believe that. We say it every week because we believe it and it's important. But when we say things every week, sometimes you think, oh, that doesn't matter. That's the thing they say every week. It really matters, right? We need your help to serve and to show up and to prove yourself. And that's not for you. That's so that other people can see who Jesus is. But here's the thing it also ends up being for you. It, it helps you to grow in your faith and, and to be more excited about who Jesus is and what he's doing as well. One last little bit, and then we'll move on to Epaphroditus, the other dude. But one last little thing here. He says, so you know Timothy's proven worth. He's like a son with a father. He served with me in the gospel. Verse 23, I hope to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. That's a key little phrase here. Remember what Paul was saying earlier? He was like, Man, to die and go with he- to, to heaven and see Jesus is better than staying in this world. And we talked about that in chapter one. We said, if, if you're depressed and I get depressed, if we're having a bad day, we shouldn't say, oh, but this world is so great and awesome. No, we should say, along with the Bible, this world is broken and painful, right? <laughs> we should be able to admit that, but God has me on orders. God has me on assignment. Of course, it's better to be in heaven with Jesus. Of course, it's better. That's why we call it heaven, right? But God has an assignment for us. And Paul had that attitude. And so Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we see that and we're like, that's, that's aspirational. That's something I can uh, be inspired by. That's this big goal. And we can think of Paul as like the superhero that didn't have real human feelings, right? But here we get this little insight. No, Paul was a, he was a real human. God works through real human beings. And he's like, I need Timothy to stay with me because I don't know how it's going to go. He keeps saying, I think it's going to go this way. I think Jesus has more work for me to, to do. I don't think I'm going to die yet, but I need, I need Timothy with me. Most scholars think that the original plan was that they sent Epaphroditus and Paul was going to send Timothy. And now Paul's writing this to say, hey, I'm actually going to keep Timothy. I need him a little longer. He's my dear son in the faith. He's so close to me. I need him right now. And I'm going to send Epaphroditus back to you. And we just get a glimpse into the humanness of Paul. And, and here, just it's one more application. We keep saying you need to join a group. It's not about the officialness of the groups, right? 
It's about being in human relationship with other people. Paul is a human that needed other humans. And that's what we are too. Jesus has made us that way. That's God's design. He's made us to need people in community. And we see that played out even in the life of Paul. We'll see that again later through the ministry of Epaphroditus as well. So let's move on to Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is, he kind of phrases it more like a brother, a brother by grace. Verse 25, he says, I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. So sometimes when we have a missionary overseas, we'll send someone from our church to bring them stuff or to take care of them or just to visit with them and and love on them and, and pray with them, right? We do that as a church. That's the same kind of thing they're doing here, right? First century, not all that different from us. Obviously, the culture's different and technology has changed, but we're still people that need each other as we try to be on mission together for Jesus. And so they would do the same kind of thing. They're like, man, Paul, he needs some help. We're going to send Epaphroditus to him. And Paul's now saying, okay, I'm going to send him back to you, but he's appreciative of the way that Epaphroditus ministered to his needs. He says, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and he almost died, but God had mercy on him and not on him also, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Again here, like Paul's a human being. So again, don't think of Paul as a superhero. Don't think of Paul as someone that is beyond human emotion. Paul is saying, yeah, if Epaphroditus had died, that would have rocked my world. That would have broken my heart. And I'm thankful to God that that has spared me sorrow upon sorrow. I've already been going through some sorrows, right? I've been in jail already. That would have been pretty rough. If the guy you sent to help me had died, then I would have felt really bad. And Epaphroditus was worried, right? Because they didn't have telephones and Epaphroditus knows that they heard that he was sick, but now he's better. And so now he's worried that they think maybe he died. And he's like, well, he did almost die, but now he's better. And so, you know, he's sending him back to relieve them of the stress. Again, these are people just like you and me. These are not like superheroes of faith that never have worries and never have pains. They're they're people like us that have pain and have sickness and run to Jesus and run to each other to encourage and support each other. That's what we're talking about when we say, join a group. We're saying you need other people to pray with you, to talk to you about life, to say this is the scriptures and this is what God calls us to. I'm, I'm struggling to obey this. Will you pray with me? Will you help me to live this out? Real human beings struggling together. Paul says, therefore, I'm eager, all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help that you could not give me. He risked his life. Paul says, this is a model. Honor such men. He says, lift up these models, respect them, honor them, praise them, imitate them. Again, we don't imitate everything they do. That can get silly. That can get extreme. We imitate their faith. We imitate their genuine hope in the grace of God through Jesus Christ. That's what we imitate. That's what we model our lives after. And it says, man, one of the central ways that he points us to Jesus is he he risked his life. He risked his life. A great story I heard about this. Another brother, a real brother, 
who risked his life for a sister, a, a little, little boy whose sister needed a blood transfusion. And it was explained to him, you know, that he could help a sister in this way. And so he, he agreed to do this. Apparently, he was a, a perfect match to help her out. And so it came to a point where the, the blood was starting to, you know, come out of the tube. Sorry if this freaks you out. And the little boy gets a little upset when he sees the blood coming out of the tube. He's got, you know, things in his veins. What do you call that? IV? I don't know. Anyway. And he starts to get upset. Like, it's upsetting to me when I see my own blood, too. And he starts to kind of tear up. And so the doctor is like, there, there, it's okay. It's, gonna, it's all going to be over soon, right? And then he really starts crying. He's like, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die soon. And like, this happens a lot with little children. This has happened in my family. You explain something to your kids, but they don't quite understand it like you thought you had an understanding. He didn't just think he was helping a sister. He thought he was dying for a sister. He, he thought he was going to give his blood. And of course, that would mean he'd be dead. He, he didn't understand that he could survive this. He was willing to risk his life. It's a beautiful picture, a beautiful story. A couple of years ago, we had the story in the news of the little boy that like saved his sister from a dog and he's got these scars all over his face. When I saw that story, I just, like, I just sobbed. I was like, that, that's a picture of the gospel. Like, every time I've looked at that picture of this little boy with a scar on his face, I thought like, he, he stepped in the way he defeated the monster that came after his sister. Paul's saying that's what Epaphroditus is like. He's someone who is willing to risk his life for others. And the reason that's so beautiful is not just because Epaphroditus is perfect and without fault. It's because Epaphroditus was looking like Jesus when he did that. And again, this is what Paul has asked us to be like. Paul has said, I want you to be like Jesus. The only way we can ever be like Jesus is when we look to Jesus, when we have faith in Jesus, when we see that Jesus gave himself up for us. And so Christianity is not a religion that says, if you give yourself up for others, then God will be pleased with you. That's not Christianity. That's every other religion. Christianity says, Jesus gave himself up for you. And because that is true, because he died for you, give your life in return. Now risk everything to follow him and to serve others because Jesus is worth it because he loves you. So a couple applications. Number one, um, just risking, right? We named the series, here's the word risk. We named the series Risk Everything and here's where the word appears in Philippians. Epaphroditus risked his life. Are you willing to risk? I think we're at a place in culture where we're nervous about the pressures against Christianity culturally, right? It's becoming more and more uncool to follow Jesus. It's becoming uh, more and more negative in the culture to be a Jesus follower. I don't think, though, anytime soon we're going to go to the point of, of being killed, right? I don't think we're quite to the, like the Nero point of being lit on fire like torches the way Nero did in the first century. I, I don't think we're there yet. But the question is, are we willing to go all the way? Are we willing to risk our lives for Jesus? A better way probably to say it because of where we are in culture is, are we willing to risk our convenience to serve others in the name of Christ? Are we willing to risk our comfort to serve others? Where are you in your walk with Jesus? And again, I'm not asking you to risk to get God's attention. We've already got God's attention. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's come after you. He, he already started the rescue mission. He's saying, now I want you to go and do likewise. 
because I love you. Last week, because God delights in you, obey him. That's, that's what we see in the life of Epaphroditus. So we don't just imitate Epaphroditus' actions. We are to imitate the model of his faith. He believed that Jesus loved him and gave himself up for him. And then Paul says, honor men like him. This is a simpler one for us. This might be easier than risking your convenience and comfort. I'm going to ask you to honor those who have influenced you, who have served you, who have risked for you. Do you have those uh, mothers in the faith, big sisters in the faith, brothers in the faith, uncles in the faith, those who have poured into you, who have, who have been spiritual mentors and guides? I want you to, to say thank you this week. Honor them. The word honor has a, has a general meaning, just like how we use it of like, hey, thanks, you're awesome, right? That's kind of vague honor. It also can mean money, right? It can mean paying them, giving, giving them gold and treasure. I'll leave that up to you how to apply this, but we need to honor these people. God has put people in your life who have encouraged you and helped you. You, you need to say thank you to them. Write a note. And I will say Thank you for the ways that you guys have said thank you to me. I'm, right now, this is an application not to honor your preacher. This is an application to honor your, your Sunday school teacher and your big sister and, and your mother. That's, that's really what I'm pressing here. Um, as the one that gets to stand on stage, I get thanked a lot, and that's awesome. I mean, that feeds me, so don't like stop doing it. I'm just saying, honor these other people that God has put in your life, your Sunday school teachers, the deacons, the elders, small group leaders, mentors, wh- whatever it may be. Honor those people. God has put people in your life that model risking for Jesus, serving others, uh, genuine concern. Honor those people and lift them up, and you're going you're gonna to help them to keep going, right? As you do that, as you honor the people that have blessed you, you're actually blessing other people because you're giving them the strength to like, oh, this is worth it. I- I'm going to keep going, right? Again, God works through human beings. We're, we're in these spiritual family relationships where, where we help each other, where we need each other. We can't really make it on our own. We've been seeing a lot of deconstruction on social media, um, deconversion, whatever you want to call it. People saying, hey, I used to be a Christian, but now I'm not a Christian anymore. And a lot of it is just because it's trendy and cool. That's where, you know, culture's going right now. But I think a lot of it is because of the pandemic. People have been isolated, separated. Christians are made to need each other. Like, we need other people. We can't survive spiritually without other people. God made us that way. I remember when I first got married, I went through a marriage class that was really trying to press that. And I I resisted that. I had kind of a stoic Christianity. I really believed that all I needed was Jesus and I didn't need any other people, right? That was how I was kind of coping with a painful childhood. It's like, I just need Jesus. That's all I need. I don't need people, right? And I had to learn, no, I'm, I'm actually supposed to depend on my wife and my brothers and sisters and my friend. Like, we need each other. That's a spiritual discipline that we need to learn. I want to encourage you again. We, we say that here with the phrase, join a group. That can just look like having coffee with one or two other people and praying together. Or it can look like joining a formal women's Bible study or celebrate recovery group. It can look like a lot of different things, but you need other people to help you grow in your faith. And then... You need to honor those people. Okay, we'll wrap up here. So the big idea for this whole thing is that we have these models of grace and that we're naturally going to imitate people. And sometimes we're going to imitate people in the wrong ways, right? Um, Like the Calvin Coolidge story. Sometimes we imitate kind of ridiculous details that don't matter. 
The point scripturally is always to imitate the faith of people. Imitate the ways in which they honor the grace of God. And I just want to end with this one little picture for you. When we were in seminary, our kids were real little. We went to seminary in St. Louis, and we lived on campus. And so there's a lot of walking back and forth across the campus, and there was like an apartment on one side, playground in the middle, uh, and then classes on the other side. So we're always walking back and forth across this playground. And I can just remember watching my son walk back and forth across the playground. He's about two years old. And I started to notice he, he kind of walked weird, right? Like my son kind of had this, this stride where he kind of like walked like this, kind of like, kind of like a monkey, you know, kind of swinging his arms. And I thought that's, that's kind of odd. I, you know, was a little concerned about it. I was like, you know, I guess it's not that big of a deal. He's just an interesting kid, you know. Maybe he's just got long arms. That's fine. And I just remember seeing this and noticing it and thinking it was kind of cute and kind of monkey-like. And then one day, the sun was just like at the perfect angle. I don't know if you've ever seen this when, when you're outside. And the sun's at a perfect angle where your shadow on the ground is like a, a perfect photographic image of you. You know, like it's the, the right shape. It's not the like 40-foot long shadow. It's like perfect image of your body. And I'm walking across and I see my shadow on the ground and I'm like, oh no, like that's where he gets it from. Like, like I realize my son looks like a monkey because I look like a monkey. And it, it kind of shook me and it, it helped me to realize the gravity of being a dad, right? Like your kids are going to imitate you. They're going to follow your model, the good and the bad, the, the goofy and the strange. And it clarified for me as a, as a young dad, man, I I don't know that it's that important that my son walks like me, but I hope he knows about my faith in Jesus. And I really want to encourage you. You may not have your own children, but there are people in your life that, that you're influencing. They're looking to you. And the question is, are they just going to walk like you, or are they going to see your faith in Jesus? What are they going to imitate? What are they going to see that's most important in the model that you're setting? This even became a, a point, a talking point with our kids. We, we told them again and again, man, we, we have house laws, and then there's God's law. And we're like, they are two different things. Mommy and daddy are weird, and we have some preferences, and if you're in our house, you've got to do it our way. <laughs> we're in charge. But when you grow up, you can do things however you want, except for this. Don't forget the model of Jesus Christ. Don't forget the God of the universe who, who gave himself for you in Christ. If you want to keep your house differently, that's fine. If you want to arrange the furniture differently, that's fine. But, but don't forget Jesus. Look to Jesus. He's the ultimate model. He's the one who more than any other human model had perfect, genuine concern for us. He's the one who risked his life for us, not just in a, in a way that becomes a model for us to look to, but it becomes the very power that sustains our life. We're not going to make it without that model. So look to him. He loves you. He's given himself for you. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you for this good news that we celebrate each week, um, that we're not sure how we're going to make it in culture, with our jobs, our family situations, our health. There's so many questions. But we know in the end, we're going to be okay because you're with us, because you gave yourself for us. Help us to live by faith. Help us to live like Paul with the reality that we need other people. 
and that you've made us to live in community, but also with the boldness to say to live as Christ and to die as gain. Help us to trust you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.